you. You can be seated. Appreciate these songs. And again, Alberto taught a wonderful Sunday school class. And you're all invited to come to Sunday school. It's, it starts about 930. And uh, we've been teaching through some of the Psalms, just every week taking a different Psalm. And uh, Alberto shared this morning on Psalm 9. And again, it was just a wonderful talked about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, worshiping the Lord, um, not just based on our feelings, but by faith, laying hold on God. A wonderful lesson. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the last chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 16, last few words that Jesus speaks to his disciples before he ascends. This is after he was crucified, buried, and rose again. He was on the earth for 40 days, appeared to his disciples on several occasions, and this was the last time right before he departed. I always think about the last words you're going to say to somebody when you know you're leaving, they're going to be important. Amen. Of course, all of Jesus' words are important. But here he's charging his, his disciples. <clears throat> Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe, and my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall, shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth... And preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful, exciting uh, time and exciting uh, passage that we're reading there. I want us to, to think about this for just a moment. The Lord Jesus placed a calling or called the disciples with a calling. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That, were, that was their marching orders. That was the commission to them and to all believers, actually. But they were called and commissioned. Then on the heels of that, God gave a promise. Jesus gave a promise. So he calls them to go preach the gospel everywhere and preach the gospel of Christ. And then he, he says... Uh, how men, the men that believe will be saved. In verse 17, though, he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. And he lists these different miraculous workings of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? They'll lay hands on the sick and they sh shall recover. They're, they're going to take up serpents and so forth. So there's a call or a commission to them. There's a promise of God that as you go, this is how it's going to be. This is what I'm going to do with you and for you. There is obedience on their part. It says in verse 20, and they went forth. They watched him ascend. And now they say, we've got our marching orders. We know what we're called to do. They went forth and preached everywhere. So there was the obedience on their part. And then we see what I would crown, call almost like the coronation or the crowning of the whole picture. And that was the Lord keeping his promise and doing what he said he would do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I promise I'll do when you go. And they went and they obeyed. They could have sat and thought about it and decided not to do it. They decided to go and they went and preached his gospel. And it says in the Lord, end of verse 20, end of this book of Mark, 
the Lord working with them. Well, he went up to heaven, but by the Holy Spirit, there's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the living God, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So there's the call. There's the promise that associates the call. There's obedience on their part to the call of God. And there is the answer to the promises of the, or the, the keeping of the promise, I guess you would say, on God's part. And so these disciples of our Lord, they obeyed, they went out, they preached this gospel of salvation, beseeching men, be ye reconciled to God. That's what Paul says, that's our ministry. That is our ministry. If you think you don't, if you think you don't have a ministry... You do have a ministry. If you're born again, you have a ministry. It's simply ministry just simply means service. And we are called to worship the Lord. We are called to preach his gospel to all men as God opens those doors. We're to go and the sower went forth to sow. We preached it not long ago. So they went forth in his name. Men were saved. It doesn't mean every man was saved or every woman or everyone that heard the gospel because God gives man a free choice. Some choose to reject and some choose to believe. But they, we, saw, we see in the book of Acts, which, which follows this, what we just read, uh, we see that men were saved. The Bible says in the, the, those in Ephesus who weren't believers, when the, Paul and the apostles came there and preached the gospel, they said, these that have turned the world upside down have come here now. So these, these men went forth and women went forth uh, in the early church, and they were used by God to turn as, the, as they put it in Ephesus, to turn the world upside down for Christ. So what happened as a, re, as a result? Well, the, the church grew. The church flourished. Christ was magnified on the earth through his church. We desire, and the Lord desires, to get glory from his church, from you. Individually, you're part of the church, and then the body of Christ as a whole, local bodies, the body of Christ, every individual believer he desires to be glorified. He desires to get back out glory from what he's put in you and done in you. We just sing, I've been changed, healed, saved, freed, delivered, right? All my sin forgiven. And we testify of that. And we testify to others that this can be your testimony as well. You can be freed, set free. And the Lord is glorified through a changed life. Not just change in any old direction, but change in our Christ-likeness. That we're not what we used to be. Anybody that saw Saul of Tarsus and knew him before the Damascus Road would say this is not the same man after the Damascus Road. His life was changed. His life was transformed. The Lord does that for everyone who saves. He, he changes us and he desires to get that glory back out. I'm just going to read this from Acts 19. We're going to read a lot of scriptures from Acts. But this morning I, I would read this. And in Ephesus it says in the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Through the body of Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And so uh, God desires for Christ to be magnified. He desires for Christ to be magnified on the earth in the lives of those that he's redeemed. Yes, he's magnified in nature and in the beauty. There are things that are majestic in nature that are just in themselves awe-inspiring, right, in nature. But nothing brings God glory like a man created in his image who was once a sinner or a woman now redeemed by the grace of God and not what they were before. Nothing brings God glory like a man testifying and 
proving through a changed life. But these men and women, I'm going to say now not just the apostles that were charged in Mark 16, but the early church. These men and women, they were blood-bought by the blood of Jesus. They were spirit-filled believers. We know that because we read in Acts chapter 2, right, that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There was about 120 and spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But they were Christ ambassadors, and they, were, they went out and they were employed in his service. In other words, it's almost like he hired them. The Lord hired them. And he sent, they were employed in the king's service and they were employed in, in the king's fields, in his fields. He says, look, look up now. The, the fields even now are white unto the harvest. I want you to go out there and work in my fields. And they were used by God through the preaching of the gospel to reconcile men to God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It's very simple, but y'all, they, they were his instruments of righteousness on this earth. They were his in instruments of righteousness. The Bible says, Paul says we, not just he as, as the apostle Paul. He says we are uh, living epistles, right? The epistles of God, not written with ink, but with the spirit of God, not upon tables of stone, but upon fleshly tables of the heart. And we're living epistles of Christ. Our life is to reflect the working of God by his blood and by his Holy Spirit, the redeeming power and grace of God to people around us and the transforming power. Because he doesn't just save us and set us on a shelf. He saves us and he's the potter and we're the clay and he's working on us all the time. Amen. Making us more like Jesus. But these, these men and women in the early church, they went out, they obeyed the Lord. They went out to the highways and the byways. They went to strangers that they didn't know. They went to family members. They went to strange places and villages and towns they had never been before. They went to Jews. They went to Gentiles. They went near. They went far. They went to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And they found God to be faithful everywhere they went. They found God to be working with them. He's with us. He didn't just send us out and he stayed behind. The Lord is with us. And they were instruments of righteousness, not just saved, but as the Bible puts it, Paul puts it in 2 Timothy, they were vessels of honor. In a large house, house there's different types of vessels. I, I liken it all the time to, you know, you might have uh, fine china where on some special occasion you pull out the crystal and the fine china and you have a banquet type of thing. Rarely, you know, and then in the same house, you have the paper cups and the plastic cups and the ones you get from Cane's when you, you buy a Coke and you still have them uh, that you don't care if you lose it or it gets broken or if you use it to change your oil and you put some in there. Uh, in a house, they're all vessels, but in a, in a large house, there's vessels, some to honor and some to dishonor. And we, the, the exhortation in Second Timothy is to be that vessel of honor unto God. I personally believe that speaking about Christians, even within the, the camp, with, which lies under the umbrella of, of Christ, okay, trusted in the Lord, even within that camp, there are people that are living for God's glory and some that are not, or not as much. They're just kind of content to be saved, and when I die, I'll go to heaven one day. There are people that have a holy hunger for the Lord. You know, I pray that for this body. I pray that everybody here, and I put myself at the top of the list, I pray we'd have a holy hunger for the Lord. 
that, we, that when we come, that they were really hungering and thirsting like David after, after the Lord. Oh, as a heart pants after the water brook. Jesus says, blessed are they that hunger and, hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled. Okay, but even as Christians, I'm already saved. I want to have a continual hunger that compels me on for more of Christ. Amen. That is a prayer. I know it's your prayer as well. But I want to speak about these, this early church a lot this morning. The Lord loved them. The Lord had previously saved them. The Lord knew them. The Lord had called them. The Lord had empowered them. We can't ever forget that. They didn't go off half-cocked, so to speak. They didn't go off unequipped. They didn't go out uh, ill-prepared or unprepared. The preparation, besides the, the discipleship of the Lord himself, to the twelve anyway, uh, there was the waiting on the promise. Tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, and then you're going to go out. And so they waited. They were not only commissioned by the Lord, but they were empowered by the Lord to do his will and his work on the earth. They were not empowered to do whatever they wanted to do. Some people look at, you know, when I'm saved and have the power of God in my life and even baptized the Holy Spirit, that, that it's almost like we just wield this sword like a lightsaber from Star Wars any way we choose. And that's not what's given. We're, we're called by the Lord and we're empowered to do His will. In, in conjunction with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the fullness of the Spirit, He says, you're going to be witnesses unto me. What does witness mean there? Look it up in the Greek. It means martyr. You're going to be empowered to live for me and die for me. Your life is mine. And I'm going to empower you to live that type of life by my Spirit in you, privately, publicly, in good times and bad times, amen? But they were not empowered, nor are we empowered to do our own will. And I thought about this. If Peter had been empowered just to do his own will, he would have been a better fisherman, right? Oh, he can make, make the, the nets full of fish every time he goes fishing. Or Levi would have been a better tax collector. But they weren't. They were servants of God. They were empowered to do his will, not their own. And this, this to me is really like... Uh, like the key, the Lord had promised them. The Lord had promised them that uh, in Matthew and pretty much in the Great Commission in Matthew where he says, and lo, I'm with you always. This is how that book ends. Lo, I'm with you always. Now, they watched him ascend, but he says, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, to the ends of the world. He went with them, and that is, that is the, the blessed part. So if you're still in Mark, Chapter 16, look at verse 20 again. And they went forth, so they obeyed. They were empowered, they were equipped, they were called, they were commissioned. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. It would have been, they would have fallen flat on their face, so to speak, had not the living God, the resurrected Christ, been with them. It would have just been, in one sense, men arguing or confronting or battling with other men. But it was not that. They turned the world upside down. They, as 1 John says, for as he is, so are we in this world. It's a big difference with just being a man who joins a religion, but there's no fundamental change in that man. And they go out and they try to convince people 
persuade them to their religion or their belief system. And people can go into belief systems and come out of belief systems. This is not at all what we're talking about. The living God, the maker of heaven and earth, who died and rose again and ascended, he says, it says here, the Lord was working with them. He was with them. Human beings, frail and weak and tired and, and imperfect, he was working with them, confirming the word with signs following. That is an amazing verse. It is a prayer for my life, for our church, for the church in our day, for believers in our day. The Lord loved them, knew them. He called them and he worked with them. So what does it mean that the Lord worked with them? He worked in them and through them, and I would say on their behalf. So what was the purpose of that? Confirming the word, confirming the word. So he didn't just confirm anything. What did Christ working in and through their lives, what did specifically did he confirm? He confirmed the word that was preached. What was the word? The gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, you ever want to get in a nutshell, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're not going to read it this morning, but 1 Corinthians 15, at the beginning of that chapter, this is the gospel which you heard and which you believed and by which you're saved and in which you stand. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and was seen of witnesses. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And as they went and they preached Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord and Christ as the only means to the Father and forgiver of sins, and they preached this Christ, that he's the one with God and he created all things and this is him and he came in the form of a man in Jesus Christ. As they preached that word, the Lord confirmed that. The Lord didn't confirm, nor does he confirm, perversions of that or personal preferences of that, where I take some of that and I mix it with something else that I like because it's more popular amongst lost people and preach that, the Lord has no responsibility, nor does he confirm that. He doesn't confirm a, a personal preference or flavor of the Bible or the gospel or a type of Christ that you preach or a cosmic Christ of the new age or something like this. He confirms his word, okay? He confirmed the word. So what does it mean to confirm? The Lord worked with them confirming the word. It means, means to establish. It means to establish even, even by force. In other words, there's some strength to it to make sure. You know, I was thinking about, you know, in the Bible, and, and our college group has been studying through the Old Testament. I know they uh, have covered this at some point. But um, when Solomon built the temple, the first temple. There was a tabernacle that God gave to Moses, and it was prepared in his day, but it was basically like a tent. The Lord put it on David's heart to build a temple, okay? And he gave it to David, all the blueprints, exactly how it was to be. And in his lifetime, at the end of David's lifetime, uh, it was actually all the materials, the gold, the silver, the wood, everything that was going to be used was gathered together in abundance. So it was all sitting there with the plans, and he dies, and he, before he dies, he charges Solomon, build the temple, you know, that arise and build, he tells him. So Solomon builds the temple. I think it was eight years in building the temple. And, and the priests, I mean, they're in their garments. Everything was done just like God wanted it to be done. doesn't mean these men were all perfect and sinless, but they 
they had a fear of God and they were doing what they were supposed to do. The temple was built according to plan. The priests were decked out and sanctified themselves according to plans. And as they're first dedicating the temple and the priests bearing the ark, they go into it and they set it in the most holy place where it was supposed to go. The Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top, right? And it says the, glo- the glory of the Lord. They made sacrifices before they entered in. But the glory of the Lord so filled the temple that the priests couldn't stand to minister. In other words, it was so powerful, the absolute manifest presence of the Lord. You know what that's saying to me? The Lord is saying, I accept this. The Lord is saying, you did it right. The Lord is saying, this is what I promised if you would do it and do it right. And it's the crown, the crowning glory upon the temple was not the gold and the silver. It was the presence of God saying, yes, this is what I wanted you to do. To me, that was a, that's my picture in my mind when it says the Lord working with them, confirming the word. They went out and preached his gospel and the Lord is saying, yes, yes, listen to these men. Listen to what they are saying. Turn to my son. Believe on my son. The Lord was working with them, confirming what they were saying by his presence. And specifically, what did he use? He was with them. We know the Lord was with them. The Bible says that. It says confirming the word with signs following. Signs following. Well, that word sign there is interesting. It's used a lot in the Bible in Old and New Testament. And it specifically means, the signs means a miracle. It's where we get our word miracle. It is a wonder. It is uh, a token. So it's like the Lord gives a token or a wonder or an indication. All right? So it's something supernatural. In the definition, it's supernatural. I've seen athletes, whether on TV or whatever, do things that are so amazing it almost looks superhuman some stuff that athletes do a long jump and i'm like i can't jump three feet and they're, they're jump, long jump they're, they're jumping 20 something feet they run and they jump and it's like they got shot out of a slingshot you know i'll see athletes do things that are amazing but that's not a miracle or a sign or a wonder because people can do those things people that train or athletic can do types of things like that right but the Lord, the, the miracles, the signs that the Lord used to confirm or make sure or establish their gospel and that these are my people preaching my gospel were, were supernatural, supernatural tokens or indications. I want to read this. God, towards the end of the Gospel of John, I'll just read it. Many other signs, that's the same word there, signs. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in in this book, in the Gospel of John, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? And in believing, you would have life through his name. The signs and wonders uh, that God does are used to confirm the truth. Confirm the truth. Now, we know, the Bible tells us there are lying signs and wonders. The Bible says so. So there are counterfeits. There are counterfeits. They're not holy. They're not of God. Satan is supernatural, and he can do certain things. I think even his, his power is still limited by the Lord. He's not almighty, but he can do things that to us, 
would look supernatural and appear to be miraculous. They're lying signs and wonders that is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians, and we see it played out in the Antichrist and Revelation and the false prophet and so forth. But, uh, but the real signs are given and the real wonders are given by the Lord to coincide and line up and co- collaborate, corroborate with the Word of God. Okay? They're going to be the, like, like what we read in the Bible, and they're going to exalt Jesus Christ. One way you'll know a lying sign and wonder, does it, or does the prophet or the individual doing that, is their message correct? Are they pointing me to Christ, the Christ of the Bible? Are they doing some type of supernatural thing and leading me away from truth? That's a sure way to know. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. All right? Now, this is not a, a sermon on that, but when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, when the, when the, the lost people, the Jews on the streets of Jerusalem, did not understand what was going on, how do these 120, how do we speak them here, hear them speak in our languages? They're all local boys from around here. How do we hear them speak in our language? He stands up and Peter says, we're not drunk. This is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And part of that prophecy says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. So the Lord is a God of miracles. All right. And he confirms his word and his prophet and his minister and his people with signs and wonders following. I want to read one more scripture about that. In Hebrews, it says, speaking of so great salvation that we have, it first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed unto us. That's that word confirmed that we used a minute ago. By them that heard, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders. So the Lord bears witness with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. All right? So I'm only saying that and mentioning that for this reason, that we understand that God worked with the disciples, and I don't think there's a break in that. You read it all through the book of Acts, then then it's just to continue on. You've heard it before. There's not a formal ending to the book of Acts like there are to other epistles. Because the book of Acts is just continuing. God intends for it to just continue until the rapture and all the end times things are fulfilled. So uh, one thing to, to, to point out here, that the Lord confirmed the word, worked with the apostles and the disciples with signs following. That word follow means to follow near as a result of. Right there in conjunction okay, with them. The Lord's working with them, confirming yea and amen to what they said and who they were and who they claimed to be and who they claimed to represent. The Lord's working with them right there, following near as a result of that gospel being preached. The Lord was working with them, doing miracles in and through their lives. Okay. Now, I want to just mention this right here. We are not believers nowhere are told to follow after signs and wonders. We get in trouble when we do that. We get in danger when we do that, when we're following after signs and wonders. We're clamoring because I heard this was taking place here. And I heard this was taking place when this person preaches. And this, this sign and this wonder are taking place. We're not to follow 
after signs and wonders. We are not, okay? A lot of people uh, in the church can follow after these things, and what they end up doing is basically throwing their discernment out the door. They throw their sound doctrine, which they know or should know, they throw it out the door, they follow, throw out the discernment which God has given them, and they follow after signs and wonders. And we're not supposed to do that. We have a head on our shoulders, so to speak, and it is be grounded right here. Okay, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to be centered and grounded upon his word. And so we don't follow signs and wonders. What does the Bible say? The signs and wonders were following the believers. Big difference. And make sure you, you get that. I'm not, you've heard me preach. And just a month or so ago, I preached on miracles or uh, that our God is a God of miracles. You know I believe that. I'm saying we don't follow that. As we worship the Lord and do his will and work on his behalf, working in his fields, okay, in the church or out of the church, he is going to confirm the truth with signs following. We don't follow the signs, okay? Just wanted to mention that. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter Acts chapter 8. This is one of my favorite passages because it helps me understand uh, it helps me understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit even better. It's a clearer picture. So we see Philip here in verse 5. Now Philip was not one of the 12 apostles. He was one of the uh, deacons, I guess you would say, in the church, along with Stephen and some of the others that were chosen. But a qualification for the, er, the, the deacons we read about in Acts chapter 6 when he was selected was to be filled with uh, faith and wisdom in the Holy Ghost. That was a qualification. Look out to you men filled with faith and wisdom in the Holy Ghost. Philip was one of those. So he goes out and he preaches to Samaria. The Samaritans and Jews didn't deal with each other. They had become over the years, and when the kingdom was split in Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the northern and southern kingdoms, they split, and they had their own types of worship, and the Jews tried to hold to the more traditional law of Moses, uh, and the Samaritans went off into some type of hybrid, hybrid worship that was really bad, okay? All right, so Philip goes to preach in his day to Samaria. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, verse 5, and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Is, not, is that not exactly what we're talking about? They gave heed, lost people. How do we know should we believe this man, Philip? We've never even met him before. He's telling us all kinds of strange things about the Son of God who died and rose again. And we know the Holy Spirit's convicting hearts and lives, but what helped the people believe, it says, and the people gave heed to those things which he spake, seeing and hearing, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. That's the signs. That's the wonders. Well, what were some of the wonders? For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many of them that were possessed with them. And many that were uh, taken with palsies or paralysis and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So here again, we don't see uh, Philip following after signs and wonders. We see Philip preaching the gospel. 
The Lord works with him, confirming the word with signs following, and that confirmation helped people to believe, okay, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, here I want to get to our, our point for us this morning. These men and women, I'm just using people like Philip and in, in the early, early church, they were part of the early church, and they were greatly used by the Lord. The Bible says with great power gave the, the disciples uh, witness of the resurrection. Great grace was upon them all, okay? But they, they, uh, we, we read about, just if you've read through the book of Acts, which I know you have, you see people, human beings, okay? We say, well, Jesus can do miracles, but I'm just me. We see the Lord in his church, just like he promised at the end of Mark 16, that these signs are going to follow them to believe. I think it's in conjunction with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. They went forth, the Lord worked with them. And we say, wow, that must have been exciting. When I read it, I say that must have been exciting. That must have been amazing. What happened in Ephesus and the revival there. And I read about these. That must have been amazing. You know, Paul, they, they, brought, uh, they brought all the sick to Paul and they were healed. And I think even like handkerchiefs and stuff. Now, the Lord doesn't say we're to repeat this, but they were brought handkerchiefs and he would touch them and they would go back and, and the person would be healed. God, there's special signs and wonders that the Lord was doing. And we're going, wow, that must have been glorious and amazing. Have you ever wished and hoped and prayed to see that in your day? I want to look around. Not, have you ever desired to see miracles like this in your day? resulting in revival like we read about 3,000 getting saved on the day of Pentecost the lame man's healed the temple that's a miracle 5,000 were saved as a result of that okay uh, when the on and on we could go have you desired to, or do you desire to see that okay I do okay I pray it I desire to see that and there's one thing the Lord wants us to know. I'm going to bring this uh, to a point here. There's one thing the Lord wants us to know, and that is this. There is a cost to be paid. There is a price that's paid for that type of life. I've talked a lot, and I intended to talk a lot about the miracles and the Lord working with them and the confirmation there is a cost to that life. There's a price that's to be paid. There's a price that the early church paid in order to be used like that. They did not pay a price to be saved. We are saved by the grace of God, right? We don't add to the blood of Jesus the price that was paid, not silver or gold, uh, but by the precious blood of the Lamb, our redemption was purchased, Peter says. We don't add to that nor subtract from that. Salvation is of the Lord. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Who did it? He did it. So don't leave here and think I'm talking about a price to be paid for salvation or righteousness or forgiveness or the cleansing of, the, of, of, the, of our sins or eternal life. That's all paid for 
and supplied by Jesus to who believes. Whosoever believes. Okay? But there is a price to be paid that these disciples that we're reading about and early church like Philip that we read about, the Lord says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's, that's a price. Well, I don't want to go. I don't want to be like a sheep in the midst of wolves. But then on the heels of that, he says, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. You're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake. There's a price to be paid. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's a price to be paid. Not for our salvation, but to walk with God. Not for our salvation, to be, but to be used by the Lord like we read about right here. We could just go on with miracle after miracle after miracle and exciting story after exciting story. And I love it. It encourages me. I love it. But it also, in a, in a sense, when I'm through being encouraged, I'm like, man. Falls so short of that. Why isn't that happening? Well, the Lord, one reason, I can't say that I'm given every reason. One thing the Lord wants us to know this morning, there's a cost to be paid. There's a price to be paid. Don't ignore it. Don't miss it. Don't minimize it. Don't uh, pretend like it's not there. These disciples weren't tricked into something. They knowingly and willingly said, yes, we know. You told us we're going to be sent as sheep in the midst of wolves. You told us that uh, we're going to be hated by all men for your sake. You told us that, Lord. You told us we're going to be brought before governors and magistrates and kings and judges. You know, you told us that. And we are making a choice. We love you. We want to serve you. We've looked at the joys and pleasures of the world. We've, we know the joy of knowing Jesus. We're making our choice. This is better. To go with you and to be persecuted is better than this. To go with you and be rejected is better than this. There's a cost to be paid. Not to be saved, but to be a vessel of honor unto God. It costs something. It costs everything. It costs everything. It costs giving up my life for his life. Not for salvation, but to be used by the Lord like the early church was used. Amen? I just want to read this, and we're going to be bringing this to a close. But I'll, I'll read this, and if you want to turn there, you can towards the end of, end of the book of Hebrews. We know that the, uh, chapter 11, we know that all these that by faith did the different things that they did. We know the names of a lot, but there's a lot we don't know their names. I'm just going to pick up in 11... Hebrews 11.35, women received their dead raised to life again. All right, that's a miracle, okay? But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. There's faith, okay? Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. I'm just going to stop there. I'm simply saying this. There's a price to be paid, not to be saved. The Lord offers that to all who believe. But to be a vessel of honor and live for God 
and hopefully see miracles through our lives. The Lord, I want you, Lord, to work with me. I want you to confirm the word, your word, as I preach it, with signs following that men would believe, not so they think I'm cool, so that they believe in Jesus Christ. There's a price that's to be paid in private when nobody's watching and in public. There's a price and it's a separation unto the Lord. Jesus said, so likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. I didn't write that. That's Luke 14, 33. I'm going to say it again. So likewise, whosoever be, who be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Well, Peter said this. Peter began, said unto him, Lord, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And the Lord promises them the blessings, you know, in this life. And he says, with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Lord, we've left all, Lord. Yes, you have. You really have, Peter. You've left all. And here's what's going to be the reward for you. You're going to have blessings in this life with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. I could go on and on. Paul says, uh, Paul says this, that even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. He wasn't made as the filth of the world when he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was made, and him and those with him were considered by the world as filth. It's, in other words, what you would sweep up what you would sweep up when you're cleaning a barn out and sweeping out something dirty, that's what we're considered. That's stuff you get out and throw out. The offscoring of all things unto this day. There's a price to be paid. And I'm not, nor is the Lord bringing this word to you and to me this morning in order to depress you, to discourage you, to frighten you, or to condemn you. Because you say, well, I haven't, measured up to par. The Lord is wanting to exhort us to understand that there is a cost to be paid and we can do it by the grace of God. There's a price to be paid to live such a life. We can sit here and talk about it all the time, how we want to see revival in our day or we want to see the Lord work in such a mighty way as he did in the book of Acts. There was a price that was paid. They were considered the offscoring and the filth of the world. If you clean a chicken, I've, I've looked this up, or a piece of beef, and you clean it up, and all the stuff that's not fit to eat, hair, fur, and fat, and gristle, whatever, that you pull out of that, that's what he's talking about. That's what that means when he said, that's how the world looks at us. Okay? Spectacle. Like a three-ring circus. There's a bunch of weird Christians down there at Cornerstone. Y'all, there's a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid to, to have the Lord work in our lives. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what Paul says in Colossians. Until we come to a place where we're dead, or seriously being brought to that place where we're surrendering daily to the Lord, everything to the Lord, willingly to the Lord, Okay, he doesn't force us. 
He didn't force these disciples to go out in his name. He said, wait for the promise. They waited. Okay? He sends us out. He calls us. And by love, we obey the Lord. Because we love him. We obey him and keep his commandments. He is worth it. Just Jesus. Okay? So, he's worth it. He's worth more than all this behind me. Okay? And we have to be brought to a place to understand there's a cost of discipleship. Maybe read a famous book by that title, and I'm not trying to steal it. I haven't even read it. But the cost, it's not cheap. It demands your life, his life, in exchange for your life. The cost is everything. And I would be in doing a disservice as a pastor or a representative of Christ to tell you that there's some other way. Let's try to figure out some way where it's not so... Uh, costly or painful or expensive so to speak it costs everything that's what it costs and God can bring us to the place where we willingly knowingly choose I'm giving up all of this that's what Moses did right choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season why wow, he had respect unto the reward that God was going to give this is better this is better. This is more fun for a few minutes. This is better forever. It's better and it's better forever. Okay? And that's what the Lord wants us to see. So I'm going to just bring this to a close. We, we say, and I pray you do, okay? We say, Lord, I want to see that in my day. But I read about in Acts. I, I want to be used by the Lord like that. Lord, I want you to confirm the word when I share the gospel, or preach or teach or whatever with signs following. And we should desire that. But we just have to understand we need to travel the same path, so to speak, that these did. Not a different path for them. They live in a whole different era 2,000 years ago, but they lived in a pretty modern uh, society under the Roman Empire, okay? And they were considered weirdos, as even putting it nicely. They were considered like not fit to live. They weren't, they weren't accepted by their Jewish brothers, the early church, or by the, the Gentile world. And yet they turned the world upside down through the gospel because sinners are sinners and they need Christ and some believe. And the Lord worked with them. Amen. There's a cost to that. And we have to travel that same path. We need to yield to Christ with the same yieldedness. We need to be willing to, say, to pay the same price. And nothing less than what they paid. And I just am closing this morning. D, you can come with just a prayer. You know, Peter said, Lord, we've left all and followed thee. All those songs that we sang this morning, I say it all the time, Dee and I don't plan that. The Lord gives her the music and the Lord gives me the, the sermon. And she is always asking, what are you preaching on? So I'm not telling you. Uh, preaching on the Lord, you know. And so, but the Lord gives her the music and the Lord gives me the word. But I'll say, yes, Lord, you know, or no turning back, or I won't go back. And it, it has to do with pressing on with the Lord. I want to be used by God like that. I'm being honest with you. The Lord has used me in different ways, and he's used you in different ways. But I'm saying to, to where we see that outpouring of God's spirit, 
the Lord working with his people, confirming the word. We don't invent the word. We preach the gospel. And the Lord comes alongside and makes it sure and establishes it with signs and wonders following that men would be saved and believe. Doesn't mean all are going to believe. Some will. Amen. Y'all stand with me this morning. A prayer is simply this. The altars are open. You come. Help us, Lord. Help us to be willing and obedient. Help us by faith to make the choice to pay the cost of true discipleship and joyfully surrender all to you, Lord, that we would be like Peter. Lord, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Lord, I pray you would help us and help your people. God, to leave all, to count the cost, to make the right decision, to follow Jesus, and then to follow you, Lord. Give your people strength, Lord. You will certainly give us the same Holy Spirit who lives in us will empower us. The same grace by which we were saved will enable us. God, help us to do your will, Lord, and to leave all in order to do it in Jesus' name.